from Hagerstown, Maryland, Associated Builders and Contractors at Cumberland Valley bring you another episode of their construction podcast. Each episode, we bring you industry professionals from the construction industry to talk about the issues at hand that face our industry within our region. Let's jump into the conversation. Well, today we are uh, here with Liz Weber, um, which is a, 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 an author and a consultant in the business world, has, uh, is nationally known, has lots of experience um, specifically working with leaders, um, working with companies and nonprofits and to help helping them uh, to work their way through what their strategic plan should look like and how they should be growing their leadership teams. Um, so with that, Liz, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself and uh, kind of uh, give your highlights and uh, what you've been up to here recently. Thank you, Amos. Yeah, so basically, Amos, as you well know, what my company does is primarily we do three things. As you alluded to, we work with organizations on strategic planning, um, as we did with you and your board a couple years ago. Um, And invariably, in having those conversations with boards of directors, nonprofit boards, or private sector companies and, and ownership teams, when we start talking about where do you need to take your organization over the next two, three, four, five or more years, Invariably, we start having conversations around what should the organization look like at that point in time and how might you need to restructure and what types of different talent and staff do you need to start considering teeing up for so that you're ready when you need those skill sets going forward. So we get into succession and workforce planning conversations, and then we do a lot of leadership training, leadership development, and a lot of leadership coaching, executive coaching to to help um, owners, boards of directors, um, managers, just kind of get a handle on how to how to do their jobs better. And it sounds like a very broad, generalized statement, but I had a number of conversations earlier today with coaching clients on things from, you know, explaining to staff um, how to transition new team members because they're they're kind of turning over team members crazy, so morale is dropping, um, and and just ha- how to have those conversations with staff or how to introduce a new strategic initiative or how to get ahead of the communication pipeline when you're rolling out a new uh, company website that's basically going to be the online portal for everything that you and all your contractors have. To use? How do you get that communication chain out there? So, you know, the, the, the leadership conversations and coaching conversations are all geared around how to strategically be smarter in what we do as individual leaders or as a team. So is it important to have a strategic plan um, before you go into business, you think? Um, is it something that you do after you've been in business for 10 years? Is it only something that you do um, when you, you know, you have a crisis at hand, um, when's the best time to do strategic planning? Well, obviously from my perspective, there's, there's, there's always a good time to do strategic planning, but I, I, I wanted to clarify something because you said, you know, when you're going into business or when you're already in business. And, and first off, I want to clarify, there's a difference between a strategic plan and a business plan. And a business plan is what organizations typically need when they're starting out 
when they're going to go to a bank and if they're looking for some financing or or some additional financial input to get their business up and running. And a business plan in that capacity basically gives an executive overview of here's how we're going to run the company. Here's who's going to be involved. These are our anticipated markets we're going to go after, the products and services we're going to offer. It's basically a biography of how you're going to do your business to justify your request for capital. That's different than a strategic plan. A strategic plan is under the assumption you're already operating. Now, strategically, intentionally, how are you going to focus your resources? And by that, I mean your dollars, your people, your equipment, your, um, your tools, your products to maximize value, to increase profits, whatever you want to do. And strategically then, you know, what, what customers, who are you looking to serve? And by doing that, are you looking at serving the same customers you've always served because you know them and it's easy? Or strategically, are you looking at where is this general industry going? Who do I like to, to be in business with? And by that, I mean, who do I like to have as customers and who do I want to grow with? And, and when we start having those conversations, Amos, with my strategic planning clients, we actually get into what I call, I, I have them do a, a portfolio, client portfolio analysis. And the client portfolio analysis is simply looking at your customer base over the past three, four, five years, and literally running that roster and rank ordering them one, two, three, or four to identify tier four. These are the clients, I'll be blunt, we call them the dogs. These are the mm -hmm. ones that you did not like working with, you did not make money working with them, and they only chose you as their vendor or their contractor because they thought you were the cheapest and could be the best deal. So there's no loyalty to you at all. You don't, you don't want to work with them again. They're your tier fours. Tier threes are basically those customers that they, you know, you contracted with them, but you really have got to work hard for the money. Um, you barely break even with the jobs that you do with them. And the Liz Weber rule for identifying if someone's a tier three is whenever you get that text message or email or phone call from them, your first reaction is, oh, crud, here they are again. You know, you're just like, oh, it's, it's going to be painful. It's going to cost you money to work with them. That's a tier three. A tier two client is a client that basically loves you. They're easy. They like your products and services. They're your bread and butter, the cash cow. And then there's a tier ones. And the tier ones are the ones strategically you want to focus on because tier ones are your tier two clients on steroids. And by that, I mean, they like your products and services. You've, you've developed a great working relationship and, and working history with you. And what they do is, Amos, they come to you and they say, hey, Amos, we're thinking about doing X starting third quarter next year. Let's talk about what we might be able to do together so that you can be a part of this with us. And they, they basically come to you and they want you to partner with them, informally partner with them, but they want you to be a part of their future projects. And the interesting thing about it, Amos, is that what they're asking you to be a part of, you've never done yet. It's nothing that you've been exposed to yet. And they, they may have an inkling about that, but they really don't care because what they're more concerned with is they trust you to do it right with them and to learn to do it right. 
and they, their trust in their work history with you is stronger than their desire to go out and find somebody new who has a work history doing this particular type of work. And they would trust you more than they trust some un- unknown entity that apparently has this expertise already. So the reason I bring that up is these tier ones, these are the ones that help you grow your business, grow your, your services portfolio, your product portfolio, and pull you into the industry. And they're the ones that help guide you grow, help guide you and grow your business. Um, so, so that's a difference in business planning and strategic planning. And those, those tier one and tier two clients are the ones you want to focus your energies on, you want to focus your marketing dollars on, you want to focus your business outreach efforts on, because they're the ones that give you industry intel that you don't already have to help you grow your business and stay relevant and successful. It's interesting. Uh, I think many times, um, many businesses get stuck, um, and and both uh, even working with employees, I think it goes the same way. Um, many times they get stuck working and spending all their time on those tier three and four folks that are a pain mm-hmm. um, and they're not helping to move forward those uh, those relationships uh, with the tier one and the tier two. Um, so, you know, on the strategic side and, and creating uh, strategic planning, um, we also think about uh, our leadership teams that are that are in place, um, and I kind of look at it as well. Uh, when I read your book, um, I kind of not only looked at that as a leadership uh, in, for individuals, a pathway that they can follow, but also um, a business. I mean, falls into that same line. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wrote a book um, uh, that uh, I'll let you talk a little bit about, but I was wondering if you might be able to give us uh, a a little overview of what the five stages of leadership are. Sure. Yeah. So the book you're you're referencing, it's, it's entitled something needs to change around here, the five stages to leveraging your leadership. And, and the title of the book actually comes from a statement that one of my clients made years ago when I first started working with him. And he was complaining about the challenges that he and his wife, they owned the company together, the challenges they were facing, number one, making money, they were hemorrhaging money. Um, and number two, getting their team members to come together and do the jobs they were being paid to do and not have all the problems and issues dumped on their doorstep as the owners of the company to fix that, to fix. And he you know, said in exasperation, something needs to change around here. And as, as you know, anybody can well probably guess what needed to change was the way he was leading, um, because what he was doing is what's very, very typical in that he, you know, is experienced man. Um, had been a CPA, so he understood numbers and understood finances, but he didn't understand how to develop people and how to lead a team of people who were technically good in their own areas, as was he. And as you well know, Amos, technical skills and leadership skills are two different skill sets. And he didn't have that leadership skill set. So the five stages of focused leadership development starts out with stage one, which is the first progressive stage that each of us as leaders go through as we first mentally, intellectually start thinking about ourselves as taking action and then actually doing it. And so what stage one is, stage one is where you and I started our professional careers, where we were the technical experts. We might've been the the carpenters. We might've been the the actual technicians, the HVAC techs. We did 
the work that our organization is known for out in the community. So we were the frontline people that were either on the phone or we were out in the field or we were in people's houses and we were the face of the business because we were doing the technical work that we are known for. And individuals who are good doers, stage one is doing, quite often what happens in organizations for for doers who are starting to exhibit stage one leadership capabilities, you like me probably being a good doer, when we first started learning our jobs, within a couple days, we started asking questions like, why is it done this way? Why, why don't we do it like that? And you start seeing areas of inefficiency and opportunities for improvement. Or you might say, well, here's how we've done it before at other jobs that I've had. And you start identifying ways to improve a process. That's important for leaders to understand that when you have someone coming in that starts to question how and why you do what you do, we have to kind of muzzle ourselves and not go, let's just stop and just do it. Um, because we want to get the work done. When we're looking at developing leaders, we have to identify that when someone is questioning a process and looking for ways to improve it, that's a leadership skill. That's a leadership attribute we want to develop. So stage one in the five stages is when individuals start to identify ways to do their own or other jobs better. And what they start to do then is to develop systems, processes, procedures, checklists, some kind of documentation or trail. So number one, they don't have to remember how to do it themselves. But number two, if they can't go to a job site one day, then there's somebody else that can can pick up the, the plans, the sheets, whatever, and go, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do today. And they can keep the project going forward. That's stage one. Stage two is I'll be upfront with everybody, is typically the most common stage that I see managers in, but it's also quite often the hardest for managers to function in effectively. And in stage two is when a, a leader transitions from this doing and developing systems mindset into a managing mindset. And the reason that this transition is so hard is because when most of us are moved into positions of responsibility, what is the most difficult thing for us to do is to let go of what we just were doing so well and we're doing technically the best or better than anybody else. And so the hardest thing for stage two leaders to do is to let go. And it's, it's again, it's a natural habit because if, if I'm a great technician and I can, I can fix a furnace quicker than anybody else, but then Amos, if you come on my team and I've got to train you to fix it. I now have to slow down. I've got to train you to fix it. And then I heard I'm supposed to let you do it by yourself. But I know if you do it by yourself, you're going to screw it up. And then I got to come back and fix it anyway. So I might as well just do it myself because I got to get stuff done. We rationalize how it just makes sense to do it ourselves. And so what ends up happening, though, at stage two, if I'm supposed to be the manager and I'm supposed to be managing my crew, but then I end up doing the work that you were hired to do, and I don't teach you how to do that work, a number of things are happening. Number one, I'm, I'm creating situations where I've got a potentially really good technician that I'm not giving opportunities for him or her to learn how to do their, the work on the job and gain the skill sets. I keep butting in. And really, really good techs are going to go, you know, why am I here? I, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and collect money because I'm not going to learn anything. Okay. So you might have some people that just then you teach them to not do any work and just collect a paycheck. 
or you frustrate some that say, I came here to learn and grow and really get good at this. And this jerk doesn't let me do anything. I'm out of here. Or, and then we, we send them out the door. And the other thing that happens then is I, as the manager, get burned out because I start working really, really early in the morning to do my management stuff. And then all day long, I'm buttoning in and doing my team members work. And then my team ends at the end of their shift. And then I end up doing all my management stuff at night. So you get really, really frustrated. Stage two is where smart stage two leaders learn the role of management is to clear the roadblocks for their team members and teach their team members how to do the jobs they were hired to do and then help them make sure they have the skills to do those jobs. So stage two is a very different transition for people who are technically trained. And then we get to stage three. Stage three, someone alludes to what we were talking about when we first started this, this interview, is strategic planning. Because stage three is where a leader transitions from a managing mindset to a leading mindset. And managers focus on what do we need to get done here and now, today, this week, this month, this quarter, for this project, and how do I manage my team and my resources and my equipment to get that done? A leader, on the other hand, thinks, despite of everything we have to get done, despite the deadlines, despite the weather, despite what we have to deal with, what's coming next, next week, next month, next quarter, that I've got to start preparing this team for now so that when that next project hits, we're ready for it. And so stage three is where leaders start thinking beyond today's responsibilities, but start thinking what's going to be impacting my team in the future and how do I start mentally preparing them for that particular growth opportunity. That's stage three. Stage three starts strategy. Then we get to stage four and stage four is where a leader now has understood that there's an important need for stage one type systems, processes, procedures has learned in stage two how to delegate to team members and develop skills in team members. Stage three is where they start thinking strategically about future needs for the team. So then we get to stage four, and stage four is where leaders start thinking about really mentoring and developing team member skills. And why this is at stage four is we're already working on current projects, In stage three, the leader becomes aware of future projects, additional projects, more complex projects. And now he or she has to start thinking about how do I start either recruiting, hiring, or really developing stronger skills in my current team so that we're able to deal with these new, more challenging projects coming forward. You know, a lot more... um, is automated a lot more in, in technology. I mean, one of the one of the construction clients that I'm dealing with right now, it, it's been a it's been a challenge this last year with them converting their contractors all to use Builder Trend because a lot of contractors are refusing the technology, and and my client is saying you have to you know we will teach you we're putting on training programs for our vendors and our contractors to learn how to use Builder Trend to, to automate. So it's this is the type of training we need to get into for our teams and even our contractors so that we can continue to grow strategically at the business in the direction that we want to go, and then stage five is simply the stage of moving on and transitioning. And stage five happens in a number of different ways. 
You might have an employee who moves on that that may retire after you know working with a company for a number of years, they retire from the company. They might move on because they move to a different company or they move out of state. Someone might move on simply when they are moved to a different team in the field, or they might move on by just simply handing off a responsibility to somebody else. The key idea in stage five is that no matter what trajectory or how intense the transition of responsibilities is, either someone completely leaves a company or simply hands over a project, that transition should be seamless. And it should be seamless to the external customer and it should be seamless to any internal team members as well. And the reason I push for that is if you think about it, Amos, if I were to transition responsibilities to you and nobody external to the organization was aware that I was no longer handling those responsibilities, they were now all handled by you. What that immediately indicates is that the communication and the relationship between you and I had to be strong enough so that you were able to understand the importance of the project, of the responsibilities, you understood how to handle them, you understood the stakeholders involved, you understood how to access and work with the team that's involved, you understand the trajectory of that particular project and where you need to take it next, you understand how to use the systems, processes, and procedures that are in place to do that. So basically, I would have had to have trained you on all four prior steps to allow you to take over and carry forward seamlessly. And so those five steps are kind of a, an intellectual, but also in ways a physical process of developing the individual and the way that we as individual leaders think, and then by default, how we help our teams through our growth process. And I think it's interesting that, uh, well, you alluded to it. You said most managers you find are in level uh, or in level two, and uh, specifically within the construction industry, oftentimes uh, the person that is promoted from level one to level two um, because they were really good at what they did, and then for many years, um, and some people for their entire career, they just go back and forth between level one and level two, and just kind of stay stuck in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had made myself a note when I read the book, um, just for my own my own mental picture that, you know, level one is really dealing with what's in front of you, what's right now at this moment. Mm-hmm. Level two is kind of thinking about, okay, I need to kind of think about today and getting done with today. Mm-hmm. And level three was maybe getting out to a month or a quarter. Mm-hmm. Level four, you're looking at a year. And then level five, you're starting to talk about a re- real career. Mm-hmm. And so a question out of that is, you know, for a business leader, um, and I guess my first question is, it's probably natural. Um, do you think it is natural that uh, a, a business leader, even if they get to level five, there could be things that happen that are out of their control that they end up kind of needing to go back and revisit uh, level, you know, two, three, and four and getting everything back on track. Is that common? That's, that's very common, and that's actually what you want to have happen. So one of, one of the first um, ideas to make very, very clear is that even though the five stages are progressive in number, it doesn't mean any one is better than the other four. They all serve a purpose given a project, given the team at the time who's, who's, com- who's comprising the team. So there are times when it is completely appropriate 
for a company owner or um, a field crew leader to be in, in stage one for a specific period of time for a specific reason. As an example, if you're kicking off a brand new project that is, a, let's say it's a $35 million you know, complex, president of the company is going to be involved. And the president of the company is going to want to see the budgets, the project plans. They're going to, you know, he or she's going to want to see, you know, who are the superintendents on this job? What's what's happening here? They're going to be much more involved than somebody would would think of a company owner because there's a lot of money at stake. So the company president or owner is going to be going to want to ensure we've got the systems in place, we've got the documentation in place, we've got the permits in place, we've got the financing in place. They want to make sure all the systems are in place. And then stage two, who's my team? Who's going to be the construction supervisor, the superintendent, whatever? What is this person's history? Who are some of the key players we're going to get involved? Who are some of the contractors that are going to, you know, he or she's going to want to get involved to see who's on the team. Once that comfort level is there and the, and the superintendent, construction supervisor takes over, then the owner backs out and goes to the next level and says, okay, stage three, here's where we are right now. And now construction supervisor, here's a timeline you got to meet. And they start thinking, shooting it forward. So yeah, a, a, a company owner, uh, a, a crew leader, you want to flex up and down those five stages as the team needs you to flex. So interestingly, I think one of the, uh, for myself, uh, one of the most valuable pieces of information I was ever given um, when I was making my first transition from level one to level two, um, I I made the transition in title, um, and I think this happens a lot of times, but I made that transition in title and was given that opportunity. And uh, the president of that company uh, came through one day and, and there was an issue and I was helping to fix this particular issue. A couple of weeks later, it just so happened that he came through and we were having the same issue again, and I was helping to fix the issue. And he pulled me aside and he said, look, um, you know, we need to do whatever we need to do in order to get the product out the door. But I need you to understand that I pay you to think about how to fix that problem so that it doesn't happen again next week. I don't pay you to fix the problem, just mm -hmm. fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And that was very valuable, to, valuable to me. Um, but along those same lines, is it okay for an owner or a president um, to continually insert themselves into level one because they feel comfortable there. Is that good for company growth if they're just continually uh, going back to the level one and level two employees and kind of inserting themselves there? Is that healthy for the growth of their company? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. Moving no. on. Yeah, moving on. No, it, and yeah, no, it's 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 not uh, for you know for numerous reasons. But as you're asking the question, I um. <laughs> I have to be honest, one of my one of my prior clients, you know, his his face flashed in my brain because this was a, a president of a, a multi-generational uh, family-owned manufacturing facility. He was the grandson. The company at the time had annual revenues, I think, around $32 million a year. So, you know, it was, it was a small but decent-sized company. And um, when I first started working with them, one of the one of the the comments that he had made was he would deem the, the, the training and the work that we'd be doing with them successful if he didn't have to spend every night and every weekend at the factory. 
And I said, wow, that's that is a good goal. That's what we're going to work towards. Well, shortly into the into the engagement with them, I realized he was the individual that was doing all the estimating for the company. He didn't trust anybody else. Anytime a piece of equipment would break down, he'd be out on the plant floor because that's how he grew up. I mean, his grandfather started the company. His dad said, you're going to start in this business. You're going to start as the janitor. You're going to start ground level up. Um, and so he likes fixing equipment. It's a kind of a stress reliever for him too. But to get to your question, what, what ended up happening is anytime a piece of equipment would break down, you call the president of the company to come out and, and fix a piece of equipment, even though you've got text everybody else standing around there doing it. Number one, it kind of goes back to what we were saying before. They didn't have an opportunity to do it. He was always inserting himself in to do the work and then complaining because nobody else knew how to fix the equipment. Um, and so you, you get into this catch-22 and you create a culture where you unintentionally are training team members not to take the step to learn themselves how to do it um, and just default to you to be their their, their ongoing problem solver. Um, so the, the question always comes back to what I mentioned again earlier. What is the role of the president? What is the role of the CEO or company owner or executive director? You know, what is the what is the responsibility and the role of your construction supervisor? What is the responsibility and the role of your field crew leader? What is that person supposed to do? Um, you know, it, and it's it sounds pretty basic. People are like, well, you know, you just you lead the team. Well, lead the team. What specifically does that mean? Again, I I um you know I think about the c construction company that's that's my uh, client right now. And, and I'm having this company this conversation with a company owner last week helping him to, to further break down and, and be even more clear with his, with his two um, newest field crew supervisors of helping them understand their responsibilities over their contractors and, and how to manage their contractors. And he's like, well, you would think they would know. And I was like, ah, ha, ha, that right there, that's the phrase, you would think. So you can't assume they understand your company's expectations of accountability and quality standards for your contractors. You need your field crew supervisors to clarify that and then hold your contractors accountable. And it's it doesn't have to be a harsh conversation, it just needs to be a clear conversation and then follow through. So that, that's pretty amazing that uh, you would believe that we should tell our, our employees what we expect out of them. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I would think that why can't they read my mind, right? Well, yeah, I'm, you know, and it's and it. This is this is a thing, and in, in a, you know, the older I get, I I keep hearing my father in my head. Oh, it's like kids these days; they don't understand. And it was like I, I have a number of clients right now where they're having these, you know, well, you don't you don't understand the generations now, Liz, or the you know with the younger generation. And it's like, okay, we're all getting older; we understand that, but. Yes, there is some generational challenges, but honestly, a lot of it is, is we're just anticipating people can read our minds and, and people just know what it's taken us years to create for our companies as far as company culture, company expectations, company relationships, the way we deal with, with our clients. Something new coming into the company doesn't just know that. We, we, so we need to we need to tell them that. We need to show them that. We need to reinforce it. We need to make them aware when they've, kind of gone off track. I, again, a conversation I just had with a client earlier this morning, um, 
is, is you know, bank supervisor. And, and she said, you know, I'm not good at having conversations with, with my tellers when I have to provide feedback. And I said, just don't think of it as a potential argument. Think of yourself as rumble strips on the interstate. And, and you're just nudging them back to the center of the lane when they start veering off track. You don't have to smack them. You just got to nudge them back and make them aware. Like, the, you know, the beep, 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 when your car starts beeping that you're not paying attention. That's all you're doing. Um, but again, it's it's telling your, you know, your crew supervisors or whatever, this is what I need you to do. Um, what, what comes to mind uh, as you're talking is... Uh, uh, Stephen Covey's example uh, that he gives in, in his uh, training of, uh, of a pilot, and, and you kind of got to view yourself as a pilot. And a little known fact uh, to most people is that most airplanes are off course about 97% of the time. And it's, you know, the pilot's job to continually make minute adjustments as you are mm -hmm. flying in order to get you back on course and end at whatever uh, that end point is. And that's just something that's been valuable for me to kind of think of it as that way. But many times uh, a manager or a leader um, needs to be there to be that pilot to, to kind of nudge people and, and, you know, get back on, on the track. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of the principles, um, I, I think they make sense. Um, uh, you know, sometimes we would believe that it, it's common sense in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think the point that you made um, as well, that uh, we may believe that to be common sense, but we also need to um, deliver that information and, and, and get that out to our other employees. Does this work in all industries? Um, is construction uh, an anomaly that, that this won't work in construction? Um, you know, what, for any business that's larger than one um, or one employee, will this work? Yeah, and you know, Amos, it's it's interesting because you you are so spot on correct that there's I'll be there's nothing that I say in in this book or any book that's like, oh my gosh, that's never been thought of before by anybody. A lot of this stuff is is really basic, commonsensical human interaction type insights. Um, and, and I say that because, again, one of the one of the clients I had years ago before we started leadership training and the book and this this model was going to be one of the components of the leadership training. I had two of the, the senior um, production leads come up to me, big guys, and kind of corner me. And they're like, um, we just don't need you to embarrass us because we got high school educations and that's all we got. But I can't I can't be embarrassed in front of my team. So you can't embarrass me in this training. And I, and I said, guys, I appreciate the heads up, but what I'm going to be talking about is not Harvard MBA level stuff. A lot of this is commonsensical. Use your head. Think about how you feel if you were in your employee's shoes and let's just be smarter going forward. And so, you know, can it comply? Can it apply to the construction industry? Absolutely. Um, and I will just say sometimes it may need to apply more to the construction industry or other industries where you may not have a history of being the best communicators in the world um, and, and just getting better at communicating more clearly um, and more candidly without being a wisecracker <laughs> and just say, here's what I need you to do. Here's what's needed of us today, um, and 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 go from there, um, and get comfortable and get proactive. And you know, well, two things: the the book 
um, and I going through the book, one of the things anybody that hasn't read the book that's listening, um, I would I would encourage you to get it and read it. The way it is laid out, it's very easy to go through, and uh, many of the things are you will look at those items and those five principles a little bit differently because of the way it's laid out and the way it's put together. It's a great read. It's a great refresher. And it's something that, you know, quite frankly, I keep now. Uh, it was, I got it two years ago when we did our strategic planning uh, with you. And I keep it in my desk um, because it's quite good to get out and look at every once in a while because we all veer off. And sometimes, uh, uh, as a leader, sometimes we have to be our own pilot and get ourselves back on course and where we're going. Now, one of the things in the construction industry uh, that I, 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 I'm hearing one of our listeners right now saying, well, but that's all fine and dandy, but we're all in different places and different areas every day. And, and it's, it's too hard to communicate. Um, and, you know, my look on that is in today's day and age, everybody has a phone, everybody, I mean, you're communicating in some way, shape or form, mm -hmm. but you know, are there any extra things or tips that you can give to a, a construction company or a general contractor that might have people on eight different sites on any given day that, you know, maybe help them to be able to apply these principles. Yeah. And actually, Amos, that that example is is one of the reasons why I would say the five stages of focused leadership development is even more important, particularly stage one, um, because if you've got eight different jobs at eight different sites with eight, you know, minimum of eight different crews going, um, plus you got home office, you've got to have some standard operating procedures, some standard budgeting formats, some standard metrics that you're tracking, some standard, um, you know, uh, billing and, and accounts payable and receivables practices in place, communications channels with all your vendors, with all your contractors. It's even more important to, to get your systems, processes, and procedures in place so that you have some way of, of supporting all these different projects, these different teams. And then when you sit down or have meetings or go to different job sites, there is some consistency in the way that teams are doing things so that you're controlling your your costs, you're, you're maintaining your, your quality consistency, your brand across all of your jobs. So it's even more important when you have multiple facilities. It's also especially important when you have one deep scenarios. So if you only have one contractor or one employee that does this finished work or does whatever, it's really important to have some idea, is particularly if it's an employee. So where where do we have this person's information? Where how do we know where this person is on this job? Who's communicating with this individual? What's the status? So yeah, it absolutely applies to the construction industry. Um, and, and it's it's just a, again a matter of being smart about how can we leverage these these um, skills across our teams. And. You know, just as you're talking, um, one of the things I think is a great benefit uh, to the construction industry or a service industry uh, where you do have those multiple uh, job sites, if you have those protocols, SOPs, and those things in place, it also makes it much easier for the employees to leave one crew and go to another crew. Um, many times, that's one of the things we hear. Well, this crew has to work with Jim because they all get along and they don't get along with George. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can get rid of some of those things by creating those SOPs and those procedures. So you alluded to it uh, uh, just a few moments ago, but, you know, is one, if I'm a company of two and we need to be all of these things, is it okay for me in that situation when I'm a small company to be a level one today 
and tomorrow I remove myself and I go from level one because I got to jump up to level five tomorrow um, because I still want to grow my business. Mm-hmm. But is it okay for me as an individual to have, you know, those days or weeks that I'm in level one and two, and then I need to jump out and, you know, go spend a day in level five. Is it, does that make sense for a small company? And is it possible? It's, it's the reality of a small business. It, and, and you will be probably, you, you may well be in all five stages within the first half of your day. Um, again, given what the, the, team needs, what the company needs, what your clients need. Yeah, you, you could be in all of those. I mean, I'm in all of those quite often because, you know, I'm, I'm the primary producer of, of the services for my company. So I'm doing, um, but I'm also thinking business, thinking strategy, developing the company, working with contractors, bringing teams together. So I'm constantly floating up and down those five stages. Um, but the other thing that we are constantly doing as a very small company is figuring out how can we get smarter with our systems, processes, procedures, technology, so that we can leverage and provide even more services without having to add more bodies? And how do we continually minimize the number of people that have to touch any product or service before it goes out the door? So we are constantly doing those things. And yeah, for the record, I think uh, just in the hour prior to coming uh, to do the uh, interview here with you, I think I was in all five simultaneously um, for a little while. Um, So interestingly, to that note, um, here at ABC, we actually, uh, we budget a little bit of money every year for uh, the process of trying new uh, softwares, new platforms, new things that are out there, because I think it's very important, um, really, no matter the size of your company, it's very important that you don't get too comfortable in, well, this is the system we have, and we're just going to use it because things are rapidly changing in the technology world. Mm-hmm. And there are constantly new things coming out. And so we dedicate a little bit of time and a little bit of, uh, of funds each year to just trying to make sure that we understand that what we are using is the best and the most efficient um, that, that is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this next question is, uh, I think, very interesting to me and to the construction industry. Can we take these five stages of leadership and overlay them onto each project when we start a new construction project, for instance? So that $35 million project that we talked about earlier, would it make sense to overlay those five levels of leadership into that project? Because every project is different. Every project has its own obstacles. Um, so in my mind, you start out um, that project, you need to create and the systems and, and the SOPs and the things that need to be put into place that are specific mm-hmm. to that project. And then you need to move into starting to manage that and then move into being a leader and and working your way through um, the future of that project. Mm -hmm. And then through level five, which kind of in my mind is the completion of the project and the transition of that project from the GC to the owner. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And do you elaborate any on, on that? Yeah, no, you're, you're, again, you're, you're spot on. That's, that's exactly what you want to do. And it's, and in fact, it's what you want to do, not only for the, the project as a whole, but you want to do that with with your crews. You want to do that with your contractors. You do that with every with every sub project um, of the overall overall project to ensure that there is this this fluid growth of 
the the teams that are assigned for the projects with each project and that they understand what the team's role is going to be and what the individual team members' roles within each team is going to be. So it's it's a multi-tiered um, process of understanding what does the individual do, what do they do collectively, and how they all grow in their parts of the project. But yeah, it, it applies to, to construction projects. It applies to the project as a whole. It, a project, it applies to the project teams, the field crews, the contractor crews. And yeah, it applies to everybody. So it all seems pretty easy to me. Um, you know, we should, all, all of us listening uh, should be able to go purchase the book, read the book and become level five leaders next week. Um, so since it's so easy and you laid it out so nicely, um, why do so many people get stuck between one and two? What, 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 what are the biggest, uh, uh, you know, kind of pitfalls that you see that um, cause people to get stuck? Because once they're stuck between level one and two, they're also going to be stuck with not much growth um, mm-hmm. from within their businesses. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, two main reasons. Number one is comfort. Um, you know, you kind of alluded it, alluded to it yourself is, you know, when, when, if we're really good doers and we can do it quicker than anybody else and, and faster than anybody else, we do it without whining. We've done it for a long time. And quite often we created the system, the process and the procedure to outline what we do, what we do. Um, it's hard to give that up. And it, it becomes a safe space to go back to when we don't know what to do to figure out the problems. Like, you know, with you and your former boss saying, I need you to think about how to solve the problem, not solve the problem. <laughs> Figuring out what's causing the problem is a hard part. Habitually, we know how to go fix it or put a Band-Aid on it. So we, we default to that. That's, that's one problem. Number two, you know, the past 16, 17, 18 months, um, and, and even now, currently, construction industry, I mean, it's booming, crazy busy. If you can get the equipment, if you can get the materials, it's crazy busy. And so a lot of us are just scrambling to get the work done. And so many of us, by default, have had to step back into more doing to help our crews get things done. And so what's happening is we're becoming super doer managers more and more and more. And for, for many of us, it's a little bit too comfortable and we're staying there longer than what we would like to or what we should. And so it's, again, it's, it's a bad habit that we've gotten into driven by a real need in the industry right now. And one of the things uh, that I have heard um, I've, I've, participated in this in, in, the, in some myself um, but it, it I hear many times um, when I was managing concrete block plants um, my plant managers uh, you know there would be a problem arise I would go talk to them about that problem and they say you know I was just so busy yesterday because I was cleaning the mixer at the end of the day I didn't catch that and almost to the point like, well, you should be so happy that I was cleaning the mixer. Um, and, you know, but uh, so at some points when a leader is, is even if there, there has, and I think you said this earlier, but there has to be a specified reason and time that they're going back to be in level one or level two, 
because if they stay there very long, it's going to become dangerous for their business because they're not going to see things that are coming in the future. Mm-hmm. As part of future planning is also planning for future disasters, future crises, future things. And if you don't see those things coming, mm-hmm. uh, a, a smaller business that I, I uh, know of, um, they've had this issue now multiple times where uh, they get to a point in the year and all of a sudden they realize they don't have enough money to make payroll. And it's because the owners and the president of the business is in the plant, running the plant and doing those things because it seems comfortable to him, mm-hmm. not paying attention to the other things. And uh, they have an accountant. And I actually talked to the accountant. accounts. I've tried to tell him multiple times. He continually tells me he's too busy. He can't come in to talk to me. Mm-hmm. So those just are a couple of examples that, you know, kind of that I can think of. Um, and I think they happen more often than we than we might like to believe they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so what other pitfalls um, do you see uh, when people are transitioning from level to level? And, and maybe more specifically, once people make that transition between four and five, or I'm going to say between five and six, and I know there is no six, but five is really that transition of transitioning a job or transitioning over. Um, as we were talking, I was thinking about also, this is something that can be overlaid in a family business um, and kind of helping to prepare. So many construction businesses are family-owned, multi-generation businesses. Mm-hmm. What pitfalls are there when people are making that final transition to the next manager and are there any uh, any tidbits of feedback or uh, uh, suggestions that you have for those folks? So it's it's a great question, Amos, and it and it kind of, you know, your two examples that you just shared with you know the the, the previous concrete block company and the, the other company that ran out of cash for for payroll because the company president's out on the floor. In those two situations, and what you're talking about here, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. The, the you know, the guy that was like, well, I was too busy cleaning the cement mixer, therefore I didn't focus on the problem, or the company president working out in the, out in the factory versus focusing on cash flow. Both of those two individuals were not doing the job that they were hired or had at that time. They were down a level or two. So they were operating at a stage lower than what they should have been doing at that particular time. That same thing, that same issue happens with family-owned businesses in that either Gen 1, Gen 2, the founder or the the next generation down just knows how to run things to to get the business to a point. But what they struggle in in dealing with, and this is where the five stages comes into play, it's developing the leadership skills, not the technical skills. And so, you know, in my work, when we're dealing with a lot of the family-owned businesses, the, the founder or, or Gen 2 has gotten the business as far as they can take it from a leadership perspective because they don't understand and don't have the skill sets to develop a leadership team. And so that's when you end up with, um, in my particular case, I've got two clients right now I'm working with. Both sons are now taking over the family businesses and dad didn't train them on really how to run a business. Dad put them through the paces of working in this department, work in that department, go out with that field crew, go do that. And so they have knowledge of various aspects of the company, 
and they know people and they know who to go to to ask certain questions. They don't know how to run a business, though. Um, the, the one one client, it's a $150 million business. And we just had their first management meeting two weeks ago. Um, never had them before. And, and it's it's the, the basic management leadership skills are the ones that often don't get the full credit for the need and the power and the impact. So for family-owned construction businesses, yeah, you've got to understand the technical side of it so that you know what to look for. But if you are the best finisher or if you're the best drywaller, then maybe you should be doing drywall and then hire somebody else to run the business because it, you know, there are different skill sets that a business needs other than technical skills. Great, great, great way of putting it. Um, I'm chuckling because uh, I went through an interview. Uh, I was actually, well, I was offered a job uh, several years ago. And when I went through uh, the second interview process, the CEO of the company said they were hiring me as an executive vice president. And he mentioned uh, that, hey, there, there are a couple pieces of your job in your job description that I really like doing. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm just telling you up front, I am going to be all over that and involved in it. And, you know, sometimes I just like to do that because it's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that was the point within that uh, process. And I, I actually told uh, the CEO, I said, well, I said, maybe um, you should hire me to do your job and you can take my job. I mean, that, that would make more sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, I did not take that job opportunity because I realized at that point that that, uh, you know, that that was not a great situation to be in. But that person right. was somebody that continually inserted themselves uh, um, backwards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess a couple of things uh, kind of wrapping, uh, wrapping things up. Um, well, first of all, uh, I wrote myself a note here as we were talking, um, you know, hey, if the title of the book, um, you know, uh, something needs to change around here, something's got to change around here. If that title makes you feel uncomfortable, then you probably need to read the book. <laughs> um, and uh, you had mentioned something about generations earlier as well. And uh I've heard so many businesses um, talk about how terrible, you know, the millennials are, the Gen Ys and, and all of those things. And I have had uh, the same reaction with everybody and, and um, you know, okay, so you're having a lot of turnover. Um, and you're telling me you're having the turnover because of the millennials and the millennials are so terrible and they don't understand how to work. Where are you gonna find more baby boomers? Um, if that's what you're telling me the best generation is to hire, where are you going to find them? They didn't mm-hmm. make any more. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of need to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the the last question I had was around a company, because occasionally companies do pop up. They're you know, one or two employees. Maybe it's a plumbing company or something of that nature. They have no intention of growing. They're very happy where they're at. They make Mm -hmm. enough money to satisfy all their needs. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it okay for them to create a strategic plan that basically says, we're going to create a strategic plan and we're going to create our processes um, around the idea that uh, when I'm 65, we're going to close the business. Mm -hmm. Does that, 
is that feasible or should they just not bother? I guess, is it still better to have that strategic plan to get to level five as level five being, we're gonna transition into closing this business? My my comment on that is if, if you wanna have a lifestyle business, you know, you wanna have a, a plumbing business, you're in demand, you're making good money, you don't want the hassle of employees. Believe me, I understand all that. The reason I still encourage or would encourage a, a business that's, you know, one person or maybe just two people to still get organized to some degree with systems, processes, procedures, a network, even though your desire is, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this until I'm 55, 60, 65 at the latest, I'm just going to close my doors. I'll have a nest egg put away. It's great. Smart strategy. But what if something happens to you when you're 45 and you can't work anymore? Um, or, and, and, and at least work for a couple months and you need somebody else to, to take over some of your clients or to help with the business or come in. You've got to have some other type of asset base to fall back on to either either sell your book of business to another plumbing company or to bring somebody in and have them come in and take over. Um, I, I just find it a smart insurance policy, even for someone whose business strategy is to not grow beyond what I can handle myself. If that's your business strategy, that's fine. But I still think you should have some procedures in place as an insurance policy, insurance policy if something happens to you. Got it. That makes, makes good sense. Um, so uh, one, where do we find you at? If somebody listening says, wow, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to hear more and I'd like to uh, maybe utilize Liz in, in my business. And uh, in the show notes, we'll also, we'll put your website and uh, we'll have a link to, uh, to your uh, uh, book. Um, but where can people find you uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, is your website, um, those types of things? Sure. Well, as you know, Amos, we are we're based in Greencastle, Pennsylvania, which is basically 10 miles from Hagerstown, Maryland, where you're based. Um, but the website is W, B as in boy, S as in Sierra, LLC.com is my company website. Um, you can find me on social media. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. And the handle is Liz Weber CMC on those social media channels. And then the book that Amos has been uh, referencing, you can find that on Amazon. It's something needs to change around here, the five stages to leveraging your leadership. And uh, last question, I always like to ask people this question and, and uh, now our listeners won't be able to see, but I see a bookshelf behind you. Mm -hmm. What is the one book on your bookshelf that you continually pull out um, and go back to what is your favorite business book that has given you the most value over the years? Mm. Um, actually, I don't have it here. I have it at my office at, at my office building. Um, and I just went brain dead on the name of the book, but I read it many, many years ago and it was written about, um, how to how to generate passive income so that you have a, a revenue stream that is not physically dependent upon you. And, and because of that book and because of those insights, that's when I started writing books. That's when we started doing online training programs and things like that. To as a service industry, how to generate revenue when you're not physically doing the work yourself. That's that's been been one of my favorites. Yeah. Awesome. Uh -huh. 
Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today, and uh, hopefully, maybe we can have you back uh, when you when you come out with the next book um, um, or a new training, and uh, we can talk in depth about that. But we appreciate you giving us your time today, and uh, uh, we uh, wish you the best. Thank you, Amos. You too.